Welcome to the ARC Podcast. Our show features conversations with Canadian recording artists. In each episode, our host, Tressa Levasseur, explores how background, influences, and personal journey shape the creative process. Every show features two original songs by the guest artist, so stick around to hear some great music. Today's episode features Colin Gillis from the popular East Coast band Pretty Archie from his home in Sydney, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. Oh, okay, Colin, nice to nice to get together here and and uh, hang out for a little while. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's a nice day here in Cape Breton, so it's hard to complain. Cape Breton, which part of Cape Breton? Uh, I'm living in Sydney, the booming metropolis of Sydney. Um, are you ready to dive into a discussion of your your music? Let's do it. All right, let's. Um, so these episodes always start with the same question. So if you're game, I'm going to start the same question with you, which is, what is your earliest memory of music? You know, sitting around the piano with my family and my grandmother playing. And uh, yeah, so I think that would be my earliest kind of memory. And but when I understood that music kind of was special, I guess, has a special place was that connection of thinking of my family and being around and singing together. And did your grandmother play, did she play Cape Breton style? Stride? No. So this grandmother would be uh, actually a PEIer. So she was over in Summerside and she was mostly like gospel stuff, but uh, a lot of cousins on that side too, all the same, same idea. So there was always somebody playing something, you know? So wait, your PEI on one side, Cape Breton Roots on the other side, is that right? Exactly, yeah. My my grandfather from PEI was a potato inspector, and my grandfather from Cape Breton was a steel worker in Sydney Steel. So I'm about as stereotypical East Coaster as it gets, I think. Amazing. And how do you think that has influenced you musically? It's probably the number one influence, I guess, musically for me is where I grew up, you know, and what, what like, especially from a lyrical theme-wise, you know, it's all stuff we grow up here, and it's very kind of specific set of circumstance that you grow up on the East Coast, you know, and uh, it permeates all my writing for sure. And then musically, like having that kind of traditional Celtic folk stuff around a lot definitely influences the music, even though that's not really what we play. It still kind of leaks into it one way or another, you know? Okay, two questions. One, how does it leak in? Um, it leaks in because it's, it's one of those things. So, you know, for us, we say, oh, we're not really playing that you know, traditional folk or Irish or Scottish folk stuff, or, you know, we don't have the fiddle in the band or at least not full time and that kind of stuff. But then you realize the song structures and the idea and the cadence of songs still play into the same kind of style. And, you know, so it's like growing up here, you know, you either learn the fiddle or you say, I'm, oh, I'm not making that type of music. Little do you know, the whole time you're actually doing that anyway, <laughs> you know? The second question, a little backtrack. You said that it the the cult, the musical culture of your family and of the where you come from influences you lyrically. And you said it's because it permeates you. For somebody who, and I mean, I've been to the East Coast many times. I love it out there. My mom's Irish. I feel like there's my dad's people are from the Gaspé Peninsula. We're not a million miles apart from a landscape perspective. But for somebody who's listening who isn't at all, you know, North Atlantic oriented, what does that mean? It's 
different to everybody who's on the East Coast. So the East Coast means something different to each person, right? But for me, you know, growing up, it's post-industrial Cape Breton, so there's no work. So most people my age and the age of the guys in the band would have to move away for work if they go to Alberta or Toronto. And it's always kind of been like that in Cape Breton. When my grandfather was growing up, they used to call it, they go down to the Boston states. So they go to New York City and help build skyscrapers and stuff like that. It's, it's always been part of this leaving and wanting to go back home. Like that's such a, a like a deep rooted thing here. Even when you're not writing about that specific topic, it's still part of what it makes everything work. You know, it's still part of what makes my mind tick. So I think like the culture and the theme, and there's that's just one example. Like another example is like the, the rich history here, you know, so it's, I can trace my family back to five or six generations to Scotland, you know, and my great, great grandfather came over and my family's never left Cape Breton, you know? So there's this kind of like deep rooted history, family history for me. And growing up here, it's, you're, you're well aware of that, you know, like it's, it's front and center daily, that history and the trials and tribulations of small town, you know, Canada which is true of a lot of towns, but especially here. And uh, so it's a mix of these things. Like it's the beautiful, amazing island, but also the hard times and that those themes of wanting to leave and wanting to come back. It's interesting. You're talking about roots, family roots. And then, you know, the, the I'm thinking about roots, like trying to pull up water through the roots in a time of, of drought or like when there's not enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I need to tell you something about your audio <laughs> and perhaps our podcast listeners will enjoy this. You might be hearing a little scratching sound, dear listener. And this is because the microphone of the headphones are scratching against Colin's incredible beard, which is both <laughs> extremely contemporary and timeless Cape Breton. So I just, you know, I just want to put that out there. We got a little happening which i love um do you think this longing this 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 longing to return is is a theme that permeates songs that might not be about the place 100 percent. it's like yeah exactly and that's the, yeah so like you know we have written songs we we've lots of songs addressing that theme that longing theme or wanting to come or go or come back specifically but then every song when that's kind of that that theme or that it, yeah it just yeah it crosses all into all songs because it's part of who we are you know and i think one of our things is one of my things as songwriters being genuine you know writing from personal experience or like from things that i have some understanding of or want to understand uh-huh. so so when you when I'm when you're a writer like that, then you're upbringing the themes and where you live. All those things are going to come out in every type of song you write, regardless. Oh, cool. Because if it's a love song, there's still going to be aspects of that, right? Like if if it's a partying song, there's still going to be aspects of that theme, that underlying theme that kind of comes with growing up here. At least for me. Have you ever left? Like to live elsewhere? I, I ventured out for one year to New Brunswick. That's as far as I could. <laughs> Not that far. Somewhere <laughs> between 
your two grandparents. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, no, I've never left for any ex- extended period of time. Um, obviously, we've traveled a lot with the band, but never for any, never to live anywhere for a while. No, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I, I really do love it here. So, uh, I want to circle back to something that you said about um, being genuine, and and that that's something that you're drawn to, and something that you aim for as a musician, as a songwriter. What does being genuine mean to you? Uh, I mean, to me, being genuine is just being yourself. And I think I think it's just being truthful, you know, about whatever topic you're writing or about your own self or flaws or whatever it might be. It's when you and when you start painting a picture and you're not being genuine as a songwriter, at least in my experience, people pick up on that. You know, it comes across as disingenuine where it it almost works the opposite way where if you're if you can be truthful with about yourself and about what you're writing then people pick up on that and it really helps them sink their teeth into it way more you know people if people believe you and believe the song and know it's genuine they're more likely to to like it i think you know in my experience anyway so yeah it's always been just something i've we kind of keep in the back of our heads just making sure you know just be yourselves, be genuine. Don't try to be somebody you're not, I guess. I want to go back to that snapshot that you offered us earlier of your grandmother playing piano and y'all sitting around. What was your first instrument? Piano. Yeah. So I took Royal Conservatory lessons all growing up. and (laughs) Okay, tell me. Tell me about this. (laughs) I just hated lessons. I I was like an active kid. So you know, to go from soccer or basketball and then to try to sit down for an hour of piano lessons doing scales. It's a hard sell. It's a hard sell for, for me. So I played piano for a long time growing up. And then I actually kind of I learned a little bit of guitar. And then for a while, I kind of didn't really do much with music in terms of learning instruments, at least. And uh, but then I picked up the harmonica of all things. And that's what kind of got me reinterested in music again. And then that's when the, the band kind of started around that same time. What was it about the harmonica? Well, it's because it was almost the the anti-piano lesson, right? So harmonica, it's all ear, it's all feel. And while you're learning, you can take it to the campfire and play. So you can learn while jamming, which is the funnest thing you can do as a musician is jamming. So if you can learn an instrument while having fun, it was like, yeah, it was all, it was a polar opposite of piano lessons. <laughs> so that got me. And then, of course, you're sitting around, you're playing harmonica at a campfire with my cousins up in Inganish. Then all of a sudden you're saying, well, I could pick up the guitar. I could pick up the bass here. Let, let, let's learn a few things. It gets you reinterested, reinvigorated once you have, that door opens up again. You know, For me, it was the accordion. The accordion. Because I had a similar thing. I took piano lessons, classical all the way up and the scales and the theory and then I was, I rejected it all. I was like, Ugh, I hate the, the grind of it, the grind. Yeah. And classical piano, you're never jamming. Yeah. You're never exactly. finding it. You're always cre- recreating it. And the accordion, I couldn't play the left. I didn't know how it worked. And so I, all I had was a melody and it was profoundly liberating because I had to choose when to inject it and you know, playing on John Prine tunes in a, in a carpentry shop. That's that's how I came back. Phew. Yeah, it's so, it's so true. And like that, to me, that's the best part about music. You know, the jam, the, that moment of fun. 
And like, so growing up, if you're not exposed to that necessarily, you don't realize what you're missing out on. You know, if you only have the piano lessons, the structured scales, here's the keys, here's the scales, do this, do that. You don't, you're missing out on the best part of music, which is sharing it with people, you know, playing with people, messing up around a campfire, laughing, you know, learning all these new things and different songs. And Do you feel like that sense of playing with people informs the way that you relate to people who come to see you play? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it certainly, at least be in the back of my mind, you know, knowing how I would interact with music while I'm listening or playing along definitely informs my choices as to how I want to present music to somebody, you know? But at the same time, everybody experiences things like that so differently. Like that's almost as as important as anything is to be aware that everybody's hearing it and experiencing it very differently, you know, regardless of your intent. Yeah, it's interesting to think of the audience as a collection of individuals, also to think of the collection as a single being mm-hmm. like to me when i think about the band in a live show context there's additional members the sound person is an additional member of the band they're in the band they gotta be like having fun with you but then the audience full group is kind of also maybe in the band for sure yeah bringing the energy and and the interaction is what makes it special like the the, the exchange of that, that energy is the live show like that's why you do it that's why really you do music at all is for that exchange of like love, like some type of energy, love and energy that comes along with a live show. On a side, funny story that kind of fits in to what you're saying about the audience being one entity. When we, uh, we were over in Denmark a few years ago for the Tuner Festival, and it, it's like a wicked one. But in Denmark, the audience starts clapping like they would anywhere else, you know, after the song everybody's applause and then after like about 30 seconds they all start clapping in unison so it goes from being like just roaring applause normal roaring applause to clapping in time unison and it just happens like they don't even do it on purpose it's truly shocking when it first happens you're like what are they playing a joke on me what's happening and then they literally do it like every time and i yeah, just thinking of the audience being one entity like maybe the Danes are like further ahead with that. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe they're onto something. Yeah. I, you know, I think you probably actually, that I think that's probably right. I, I believe it, yeah. In the same way that there's cultures around the world that, um, you know, a culture has a relationship to music that is the group's relationship to making sound together. Uh, Cape Breton or PI, perfect examples of like kitchen jamming. Like that's a real scene that is not the same in Ontario or Northwest Territories. Like I was talking with Leela Gilday earlier this week and she was talking about going to drum dances. Like that's not something that I ever had. Yeah. It's like when you, when you shut your eyes and you think of a musical scene, you see something and like go back to the kitchen party thing. When I shut my eyes and I think of a music, like a musical thing, I think of the kitchen with two or three cousins or your friends with a couple of guitars or whatever else was laying around. So that is you're, like, you couldn't be more right where that is what I think of when I think of music, you know? You mean you don't think of you all just starting to clap in time together suddenly for no reason? <laughs> um, have you played in Scotland? Yeah. H- how was it to play for, to play in the place that you are 
that you know your your folks are from and that you it's pretty surreal you know it really is like it's a it's a surreal feeling that way um actually it wasn't in scotland that's that i had one of those moments was it in denmark again same festival but we played in this little mill house it was like a, one of the side stage style things it was a, shortly after or i think it was the same year canada turned 150 and that building was older than Canada, <laughs> you know, and it really made me like, like, that's the thing here, you know, you think of history here, but it, we're so young, you know, from like a historical perspective. So that's one thing I always notice in Europe, anywhere we go, it's like history there, it's a different level of history, you know, certainly white people's history goes back yeah. a lot for like, you really get the sense that that is where the white people are from. That's what how I feel when I'm over there. I'm like, Oh, yeah, this is where my people are from yeah exactly yeah everybody looks like me red tint to the skin and right right <laughs> can't stay right. out in the sun too long <laughs> right beard scratching against their microphone no, I'm just yeah. kidding. um so you had these kitchen parties growing up what was what about like other musical influences like what was on the record player or in the tape deck or whatever format it was that your family was listening to when you were growing up yeah like to tell you the truth, and this is, again, going to sound very stereotypical East Coaster, but it was always East Coast music. So the Rankins or the Bear McNeils or Lenny Gallant or somebody like that. And then, of course, you have like the, the Neil Youngs and all those folk guys, stuff like that. But it was always like the East Coast music was always on at the house. That was like the one guarantee for sure. And then you'd mix in everything else, but there was always your, yeah, your Lenny Gallant or your Rankin families were always on for sure. And then you get the Bob Dylan or the John Prine and the Neil Youngs, that kind of stuff sprinkled in. Right. But it was always East Coast stuff. That is so fascinating to me because it's such a, um, a clear answer for you. Like, you're not like, hmm, let me think about that. You're like, it was the East Coast music. Yeah. Like that's, where I'm from, that's what's influenced me, that's what I was exposed to. So when did you start contributing to the canon, as it were? Yeah, about a decade ago, I guess, when we first kind of started getting the band together is when I first started writing. And, you know, you're always, I'd always be fiddling with things. and But that w would be when I first would say I started like sitting down to write a song kind of thing, you know? And are you the writer of the outfit? Myself and Brian, who's the, the lead singer. And then together as a group, we kind of arrange them and do the musical parts. But uh, lyrically, it's Brian and I write it all. Yeah. Sometimes one, sometimes the other. How does that work? Yeah, it's it's uh, all of the above. <laughs> you know, sometimes we'll sit together and say, okay, here's what we want to write about today. Let's let's try to see if we can write a song about this. Other times I'll come with a song almost finished or vice versa. He'll have one almost finished. And you just need help tweaking a last verse or adding in a bridge or whatever it might be. So it's kind of neat. and. The good, the good thing with us is Brian and I have been best buds since high school. So we're, we go way back, very similar like thoughts and process. So when we're co-writing together, it's not, we're not like bridging a, a divide, you know, it's like just having a second me <laughs> or vice versa for him. So it makes it really easy to kind of bounce off effect where, you know, if I'm struggling to finish a song, to have somebody I know and I know what their thought processes are and have written so many songs together with them now that it makes it, yeah, it makes it really easy. How do you decide what you're writing about? <clears throat> That's a good question. I don't even know if I know the answer. <laughs> um, so, sometimes you sit down, you, you have a specific kind of theme you want to write about, or a lot of time for me is I'll, I'll think of a lyric or 
or a line or two of something and then say, okay, what am I talking about with that lyric? You know, what am I trying to even say here? And then that can drive figuring out the rest of the song or where I want to take it. Have you ever had one of those lightning strike songs where you're like, you're just ready and it just comes through you and the whole thing comes out? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's... Yeah, it's happened a few times. I can't say it's happened a whole lot, but but most of them for me is I'll write a chunk and then I'll take some time, write another chunk, take some time and then edit, 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 edit until we record it and then you can't edit it anymore. Which is interesting because when, when you think about the process of being a genuine person, real life, like regular life, then actually being genuine is not really about editing. But when you translate it into trying to tap into something and then you shape it in ways that have like form or artistic context and then make it genuine it actually isn't the same at all that's a good point or are you if you edit something to make it more genuine is that genuine or is it not genuine <laughs> well I, that, that's my question here and and i think I think my sensation is that you are that you are editing it to be genuine. I think so. I hope so. <laughs> you know. And also to present a piece of something that is elegant. Yeah, yeah, I think that that's the key. It's when I'm editing it's it's less about changing anything thematically or the song in general, but it makes it more genuine when you're presenting it because you're saying things you would actually say versus like a poetic line right and you're saying it to people who know what it is to hear somebody say it the right way for like you're in a band with guys who are all from where you're from and all the music you're exposed to is from where you're from so of course you're not going to like you know do, yeah. do some shakespeare thing when that will just people will be like what who's he trying to be exactly yeah we have a saying in the band and when somebody's getting too high on themselves or get their egos getting a little too big we say he's got to go and haul some traps like haul some lobster traps it's like you gotta you gotta remember where you're from right <laughs> you know well and that's kind of fundamental to east coast culture too right like you don't want to be too big for your britches yeah and just it goes back to just realizing like you know this is a special place be happy with, with where you're from and who you are and oh I'm, I'm loving this this is a very sweet conversation we're having and i i am filled with the sense of like wanting to like come out there and hang out with you guys <laughs> like jam and hang out and just talk about good stuff it's uh how do you marry that with an ambition for your career and and to build audiences how do you how do you balance those two things well you know nowadays especially like maybe at one point in time you'd if you're really making a go at it you'd have to move to toronto or you'd move to nashville or move to la or new york somewhere like that but nowadays, I don't think that matters at all. Your home base can be anywhere if you're traveling to play and wherever easiest. And then if you think of it that way, then Cape Breton is a great place because it's relatively cheap to live here. So as a <laughs> artist, as a musician, that's great. And your culture and the beauty of the island is like really good for for writing. And like so you'll see a lot of on the Cabot Trail and everywhere around the island, there's all kinds of different artists and all kinds of different types of artistry and i'm assuming it's all for that same reason right it's a place that inspires them and also is affordable to live and yeah like so, so at some times you're like okay am i missing out should we be in toronto where we can go to a meeting with somebody or whoever but 
it just, I just don't think that really exists anymore, at least not to the same degree. Like Cape Breton and the East Coast in general has a really supportive music scene. You know, it's really valued here. So it's actually, it's a great place to be a musician. And what about when you go elsewhere? Like, I know it's been nine years since anybody's heard. Just kidding, but it's been a while. But what about when you go somewhere like Denmark or Alberta or wherever else you've gone? Do you bring Cape Breton with you? Do you try to share that with the audience? Do you feel like an ambassador? Like Big time. It's like, I, I would say of all the things I'm most proud of as a musician and with the band, it, that would be my number one. And I, I think that's true of all the guys where we, like we wear our pride of Cape Breton and just the East Coast kind of on our sleeve. It's not lost on us, you know, it really is. It's very much on like something we're very proud of to be part of that tradition, you know, and to be ambassadors of the island. And how do audiences react to that? Like what 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 is their relationship to you being so rooted in Cape Breton? Do they give you feedback on that? You know, it's it's funny because there'd be times when you're writing a song that seems very specific, you know, and then you kind of finish it and you say, Do, are people going to understand this if they're not, they don't have like an understanding of the East Coast or, or maybe of Canada, let alone Cape Breton, <laughs> you know? We were playing in Germany. This guy came up after we played our one of our last songs and we played this song called Tell Me You're Leaving. And it's a, very much a, like she wants to get out of the small town living to go to the to the big city. A very Cape Breton, pretty archy theme. And this guy in broken English came up and said, oh, that one spoke to me so much, you know, like it really, I understood it. It was like it was, you were singing it to me specifically. And that was one, a moment we were like, wow, like it really doesn't matter. Like, you know, it, you think it's specific, but people are going to find the thing to latch on to. And that goes back to what, you know, the word of the convo, I guess, that genuineness. As long as they know that you are you, then they'll, then they're open to hearing what you have to say, you know? So they might not know what Cape Breton is, or they might not know the history of why we would sing a song that, with this theme, blah, blah, blah. But if they know you're being honest with them and putting out that, they, they'll, the audience finds a way to attach themselves to it, you know, put themselves into that song. Even though when we might be panning it, we're just like, is this too specific? Like, is this... Are people going to get it? But they do. Like, they really do. Even though to us, it seems very, like, East Coast theme, they, they find what they're, they find what connects them to that song on their own, you know? Right. What about connecting to other types of music? Like, I'm thinking about, I want to segue a little bit into, so now we're talking about audiences, so we can talk about festivals and workshops and all the rest of it. Let's say you go to a, a festival and you wind up on a workshop stage. It sounds like you're all jammers, like you can all hear and play along. What, what What's the perfect workshop stage scenario for you? Where you're like, you look in the program or you get the email and you're like, yes, this is what, exactly what we want to do. What might that be? Well, there's been some great examples. Like we uh, the Lunenburg Folk Harbor Festival in Nova Scotia is a really good one. They have like a big Sunday gospel jam, basically. And then there's one in New Brunswick. We played a few times, the Hullabaloo. They have a big Hullabaloo jam. But yeah, to what my ideal one, I think, would be like something I've never heard, you know, like something that is new and exciting. And then, but I'm also really enjoy like a good bluegrass 
jam out where it was just ripping solos and hand, grab a handful of G and hold on kind of stuff. So those are different excitements, right? One is like those bluegrass tunes, they come from the same location that a lot of the Cape Breton tunes come from. They come from a European tradition, many of them, and then mixed in with other things. Um, but like, I'd love to see what Pretty Archie might do with like Turquoise, which is a Middle Eastern band of instrumentalists, all awesome jammers. Like what would that sound like have you ever done anything like that where you're mashed up with cross-cultural collaboration nothing's coming to mind like typically when they when we're at these festivals it's always like a specific themed workshop you know like so there it's usually like similar in the similar zone i think you know so i can't really think off the top of my head any specific example where we've like yeah crossed with a very different type of sound or cultural sound but dear podcast listener who is an artistic director, please program Pretty Archie (laughs) with a band from somewhere else or deeply rooted in a particular home that is not the East Coast of Canada and mash them up together for Max Musical Magic. Thank you so much, dear podcast listener. (laughs) Um, Did you have, do you you have a role model as a songwriter? Well, I haven't, like, I had, yeah, I certainly have favorite songwriters, I guess, which would be my role models. I'd classify it in two ways, I guess. So like my favorite songwriters would be people that I enjoy and I certainly mimic to some degree or try to. And that like, I love Fred Eaglesmith. He's like my all time favorite songwriter. And Bruce Springsteen, kind of that like working man poet style stuff, you know, that's always been like something that that's drawn me in. But then more from like a specific role model standpoint, a lot of it's like people I grew up with here, like my cousin, Darren, who lives in Northern Cape Breton. He's like a a prolific songwriter and he doesn't really tour around or anything, just plays around in Cape Breton. But he's just like, I've seen him write songs, sat with him like before I was even writing songs. So that kind of, so I've had like role models in the sense of like on the job work training too, which is, which is great, you know? Right. Well, I mean, I, I think you've, you've done a little, a little sort of cat. You're like, it's a working man, working class songwriter that, that is, speaks to you and is, you know, ins- inspirational to you. And something that you're also doing. There's a genuineness to that too. Like Bruce Springsteen is a very genuine artist. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever played the picnic? Have you played Fred's picnic yet? No. Dear podcast listener, Fred Eaglesmith, please hire Pretty Archie. <laughs> the whole podcast is just going to be ads. <laughs> what about, okay, I just want to ask one more question and then I'm, I'm going to segue into fun questions to end with. But here's the last question. Have you ever done any like deeper audience engagement things like gone to a town and done something in a school or gone played in a jail or like any of any sort of community outreach stuff do you like that stuff who do you like to what do you like to do if you're asked to do something of that variety we've never done any specific like planned programming in that sense we're made a plan say here's what's happening but we've done a lot of shows in schools that's always fun for me too because i i was a teacher as well at my education degree that's where i like to try to not give back but like in any type of community outreach thing it's usually a school-based thing they're just a great avenue like of an easy place to come in and help you know like to to be a positive influence on an age group like that to show them music can be fun maybe somewhat some poor kids on grade six of the conservatory and they're like i'm just about done with this piano thing and then if you can show them that music is fun, like that's a great thing. And that's like, 
the least you could do, you know, like that's, that's the easy part. So kids are, there's sponges for whatever you want to pass on, on, you know, whatever your message will be. So it's like, they're just, a, schools are great for that exact reason, you know. It's kind of exciting to for me to think about you and your pals going into like a middle school or a high school and be like, no, but seriously, this is actually like, you can jam. Yeah. <laughs> like, did you know that you can jam? This is how you do it. So find a C on your instrument and, and a G. Okay, now you can play 800 songs because you know those two chords. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, I think there's something there. Colin, like for you to look at, I mean, I guess on the East Coast where you probably do the majority of your touring, everybody knows that you can jam. That's the whole deal there. But come to Ontario. We need you. All right. We need you. Uh, We can do that. (laughs) Do you have a hidden or unknown talent or skill or something you do? No, I don't. I don't think so. I'm trying to think. I'm really good at like manual labor, I guess, like put a shovel in my hand. You could see me go like I just finished restaining the deck. So it's, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if that's a hidden talent or a talent at all, but it's a talent. Yes, that's about it. <laughs> right. And hauling traps. Don't forget your listener. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> hauling traps. I have loved this conversation with you. Yeah, you're just a down to earth guy. I grew up in North Bay, Ontario for most of my life. And uh, you're reminding me of a lot of, a lot of pals from North Bay. Good stuff. A place where you better be genuine or... Or folks will be like, they figure out quick. <laughs> yeah, they'll just roll their eyes. If you're not, if you think you're something that you're not, everyone in North Bay is like, uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. That's the thing here. It's like, yeah, all right, buddy. You know, I know your cousins. We're, we're cousins, man. You're not fooling anybody. You know? <laughs> you're not fooling anybody. Any plans for a new project in the works? Well, we actually re- we recorded a new record over the winter, so it'll be out in the fall, which is exciting. And uh, we worked with Mark Howard, who's the producer, and he's done a lot of really cool stuff. And it's it's kind of a it's the first one we've made with a, we brought in a different producer. Like the rest of the time, we've kind of either produced ourselves or with our buddy Jamie Folds, who's here in town. He's really a great producer. But we had done our last three albums basically in the same kind of set up and style so this was really fun to do with something very different so i'm really excited for that to kind of get get going and so yeah that'll be out i think november 5th is the tentative release what's it called it's self-titled which i know is probably a it's probably a faux pas i guess if it's your fifth album or fourth album but hey we're doing it (laughs) every band's got to have an eponymous project you got to have the project that's the one of your name yeah i think so and hopefully like it's got a really neat like kind of off orange color to the album art so maybe people just start calling it the orange album or something really cool like that you know i'll let people people decide (laughs) it makes me think about you talking about going to europe and everybody having an orange tint to their beards um and now you've got an orange tinted album that's right pretty archie the orange album (laughs) uh thanks a lot colin this was really great this has been a blast yeah it was awesome to talk and really nice to like meet you in this bizarre way yeah (laughs) Uh, digitally i hope we'll I hope we'll meet again in person. You bring your harmonica, I'll bring my accordion. Grab a handful of G and hold on. Trains, planes, and cars will take me where you are, but I can't afford gas. Next time we come through, I'd like to talk to you. We can have a couple laughs. And oh, I 
If you'd like to know more about today's guest, please take a look at our show notes. Our producer and engineer is Tim Frazier of Murdoch Entertainment. Our host is Tressa Levasseur. Thanks to the Canada Council for the Arts for making this podcast possible. And thanks to you for tuning in. I met you in the summer. We were two kids on the run. I had a couple of dollars. You stole your daddy's rum. Since then we've been together But we can't get out of our own way We'll stay here forever Like the people that we hate All grooves in the seat at the bar down the street We were barely getting by And the shining blue green on the karaoke screen Put the stars back in your eyes We do this dirty small town Run around with getting outs on our minds this whole town's going down low, time to leave it behind You could have been an actress You know all my favorite lines Now you're a part-time waitress Can't make it into work on time And I'm no model citizen 
All my hands are dirty too But I can't help but picture him All oh, there's more out there for me and you All cruising the seat in the bar down the street We were barely getting by In the shining blue-green of the karaoke screen Put the stars back in your eyes We do this dirty small town Run around forgetting that's on our mind This whole town's going down Love time to leave it behind Tomorrow, if that's what you want to do, we can beg, steal, and borrow. As long as I'm running with you, spend our nights doing wrong together, drunk and getting high. But you know, my love, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Instead of complaining, we should be changing it so no one else has to go. This whole town's going down, love, we're not in it alone This whole town's going down, love Oh, it's good to be home